Uh, so let's get into today's message, which is um, we're still working on the Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity series. Uh, what they'll be flashing behind me is the 15 emphasis that we're studying. I believe we're on emphasis number four, church leadership, and we've been on it for a while. Uh, I'm not, I had, I had hoped to do this uh, much shorter and not as detailed, but I just can't find a way to do that. <laughs> so uh, so uh, the series is, uh, and I uh, noticed that there's a misnumbering in your outline, so it has Roman number one, two, and then four. Somehow we skipped three. Oh, well, uh, Microsoft has a way of renumbering them according to its automatic somethings. drives me crazy. Um, so we've been looking at um, the phrase from Ephesians 4, 7, that Christ, when he ascended, gave gifts to mankind. And we made the point when we started on this section that these are not just gifts to the church, but these are gifts to all peoples. The church itself is a gift to all the nations. Uh, with the, the church, as the Psalms really talk about, that Zion is the joy of the whole earth. There would be nothing uh, godly, nothing uh, preserving culture, nothing uh, going in a positive direction in, the, in all the nations of the world if it wasn't for the church. Now, there is such a thing as, as common grace or general revelation, and so there might on occasion be nations or people or authors or musicians that, uh, that are not particularly Christian that make positive contributions. That, that, that does happen. But in general, the church is the joy of the whole earth. Um, so... Uh, the leadership that Christ has put in the church is not just for the church, but it's to, be, it's to bless and benefit all people. As Jesus said that God causes his reign to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous, and God does good regularly and often to sinful, rebellious men who hate him very much. Yet he still does good to them, and one of the most important ways he does good to them is he gave these seven ministry gifts that we're talking about to the world. So often these are talked about as the fivefold ministry listed in Ephesians 4.11 of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, it's not something I'd be willing to fight with anybody about, but based on the list of gifts that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31 in which Paul mix, mixes gifts from several categories into one uh, statement about there being multifaceted gifts, um, I would also add the gifts of helps and administrations in the church. And uh, some people are just gifted to be great administrators. And so that, those verses are uh, at the bottom of page one of your outline. All right, now, toward the bottom of page one, I have 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. 
And we're going to talk about that today because on page three of your outline, we're going to talk about the ministry of prophets today. Now, prophets or prophetes uh, means to speak forth, to speak on behalf of, an, of another. So in the Old Testament, when you remember when God calls uh, Moses to, to be sent back to Pharaoh to de- declare that, uh, he, that Pharaoh should set Israel free, Moses uh, argues with God, as we often do when he calls us to do stuff, uh, which we should learn to not do. Um, Moses argues with God that he's not a good speaker. And so God tells Moses that his brother Aaron will be like his prophet. And so a prophet speaks on behalf of God, uh, just like, um, oh, in our country, uh, there's usually, uh, I forget the, na- the name of the office, but there's usually uh, a person who speaks on behalf of the president to the, to the media, uh, and he's, you know, usually an office in the White House, I'm trying to remember what that, the press uh, secretary or something, what is it? No, 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 there's a, a particular person that's just for the journalist. Uh, anyway, and that, that position changes quite often. Anyway, so um, uh, a prophet speaks forth on behalf of, of another, and that is used in the New Testament in several ways. So in Titus 1.12, uh, Paul uses the word prophet to speak of a Cretan poet named Epimenides. Uh, John the Baptist is referred to as a prophet. In, uh, there are general prophets. Um, prophets is used of the writing of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, there's a number of scriptures listed in your outline, again, on page three, under point six. Uh, we're not going to turn to all those scriptures, but those are all scriptures that uh, dis- that talk about the Old Testament prophets. Christ is called a prophet. Uh, The two witnesses in the book of Revelation are referred to as prophets. Now, um, to understand the the use of prophet in the sense that we're going to talk about it, you need to understand that um, there are three primary lists in the New Testament, or that is, there are three primary types of gifts uh, in the New Testament. So um, you get a lot of uh, cra- crazy confusion today because people don't think clearly about the use of various words, uh, which the Greek makes easier to do, uh, for, for various kinds of gifts. But uh, so, so we need to kind of discuss the topic of gifts just for a minute and say, first of all, everything is a gift, Life is a gift, and being called of God to, be, to, to receive new birth in Christ is a gift. And so uh, all people have received gifts, even non-Christians, from God. Their very life is a gift. Genesis 2-7, God formed man of the dust of the earth, uh, a type or a metaphor for the physical part of man. He breathed into him the breath of life speaking of the spirit of man, and then that man became a living soul or a self-conscious being 
speaking of our soul. So Genesis 2, 7 uh, not only tells us that we are three-part beings, but that our very life is the gift of God. So gifts are spoken of in that general sense, but then in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 5, and 6, if you look back toward the bottom of page 1, the second to last scripture is from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 with some Greek words thrown in. So it says there are varieties, and the word diuresis there is used in all three verses, 4, 5, and 6, for each of the three different categories of gifts. So the first category of gifts is there are a variety of gifts, which is the Greek word charisma, but the same spirit. Those gifts are the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at a little bit more, that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. And they come from the person of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Godhead. And then the next verse tells us there are varieties, again, many kinds, many different uh, samples of ministries. And that Greek word is diakonia, uh, diakonia, or some, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it well at all, probably not diakonia, diakonia, I think it's pronounced. But it uh, basically means services or ministries. And so uh, when we go through, say, the Holy Spirit series, we first talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, then we talk about the ministries of the Holy Spirit, then we talk about the activities of the Holy Spirit, because one always proceeds from another. Uh, The ministries of the Holy Spirit come out of who he is as a person, the third member of the Trinity, who is fully God, and he was sent by the Father and the Son and does their will. And his ministries uh, reflect that. And so when uh, in English-speaking countries other than the United States, I'm not sure why we called our top uh, cabinet offices Secretary of State and Secretary of Treasurer. That was actually done from the Articles of Confederation period on to the Constitution period. And I think it was because, you know, being the first country to separate from England, I think there was a kind of a desire to get as far away from English uh, customs and ways and things as as we could, even though most of our institutions came out of the political theories that were quite um, known in France and England at the time. But most former English colonies like Canada or New Zealand or India, or Kenya, use the word ministers. So there's the ministry of the treasury, or the ministry of defense, or the ministry of war, or the ministry of the interior. And we tend to use the word secretary in the, in the United States. But I like the word ministry because it helps us keep our perspective. You, it's a very kind of popular thing in certain evangelical circles for someone to say, I was called to the ministry as a teenager. I was called to the ministry. And, so, and uh, if we knew what that meant, we wouldn't use it that way because we're called to be bondservants. It really uh, is uh, a similar word to doulos, a table waiter. And we're called to minister on behalf of the one who sends us 
according to their ways, and, and we're not looking to carve out our name or our point of fame or something that we can take vain glory in, uh, a, a minister of, of finance has to represent the country and the parliament, uh, the government that sent him. And so, for instance, in colonial America, every uh, colony had a governor sent by the King of England and the Parliament. And that governor was to enforce British laws, British customs, British culture, and so forth. That's why every country that was formerly a British colony or whatever drinks tea and coffee uh, and has a long tradition of that. Uh, because they were Brits. And in many ways, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is actually uh, like being sent as the governor from the king. And so we, when, uh, when God, God puts ministry gifts in the church, we're called to represent the king of the kingdom and establish the ways of the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom. And there's nothing about ourselves in it. That's why it's so funny that there's Christian ministries that are named after the person, you know, the so-and-so ministry, which is actually kind of silly. Because all ministry is sent by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, because he's the king. So verse 5, there are a variety of ministries uh, in the same kurios, or uh, is the same Lord. Those ministries come from the person, second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And then there's lastly a variety, varieties of effects. And the Greek word energema is the same uh, root word that we get energy from. And it means there's a variety of motivations. And those are created in the persons who have them from God the Father in his creatorial uh, capacity. Now, don't uh, make a theological mistake here and, and think that just because we're talking about these coming from God the Father, uh, don't forget that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all participated in creation and there are many scriptures we could go to, and we could do a whole teaching on that. And we have done teachings on that. In these three categories of gifts, God works all three of these in all people so that every, every Christian has gifts from each of these categories. And so the categories of um, of the min, uh, ministry gifts, or, or that is the gifts of motivation, I'm sorry, are actually from Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8. I was looking to see if I have that scripture printed out on this page anywhere because I'm about to read it. Uh, where did I put my... Oh, here we go. Uh, is it on the sheet anywhere, Anybody? I don't see it. Hopefully you're familiar with these, but these are the gifts of motivation or the gifts of temperament. 
I never call them the temperamental gifts. We probably have too many people that are temperamental already. Uh, but uh, they're, they're gifts of a certain temperament. And most of you probably... Uh, so they are listed in Romans 12, 3 through 8. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the f- same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, exercise each of them according to your uh, portion of faith. It, so then he lists them. Number one, prophecy. Number two, uh, two, service. Number three, teaching. Number four, exhortation. Number five, giving or liberality. Number uh, six, uh, administration or leadership. Uh, and lastly, the gift of compassion or mercy. Now, the way those gifts work is they're a temperament through which you filter seeing reality. So I always tell the story of the little boy who, who breaks a glass of water, and uh, a lot of people can see that and interpret it differently. So uh, going through the list, I should have kept it open. I think I will re- reopen it just so I can not forget any of the seven in the order they appear in. Sorry, my, my phone's a little slow. So the, the first one that he lists is, um, I think, prophecy, right? So um, a, a person with the motivational gift of prophecy uh, has a similar motivation to what the purpose of prophecy in the Old Testament was to call people back to faithfulness to Yahweh and his covenant and to pull them up to a higher standard. A person with the motivational gift of prophecy uh, wants this, the video cast to be better, or they want uh, your motivations to be right, or uh, they want you to dress nicer, or they're always calling you up to a higher standard somehow. They want you to take your Christian studies more seriously, or do things of the, uh, with a better motivation. And so... Um, the person who serves uh, meets practical needs and so forth. The person who uh, teaches and so forth. So I'll, I'll actually illustrate them by just going through the little boy thing. So in the little boy analogy, the prophet would probably rebuke the little boy and tell him, I told you to quit screwing around and being so childish. And, you know, this is a place of worship. This isn't some place to go running through with a glass of water and, or something like that. Uh, uh, then the person of, who has the gift of service would probably just go get a broom and a dustpan and a mop and sweep it up and then mop it up and clean it all up and say, no big deal. It's good, isn't it? Uh, and if the person who uh, serves is mature in that gift, if, if they would draw as little attention to themselves and, and make it as little of a deal as they could. Um, the person who teaches... Uh, we think in terms of they would want the kid to listen to his five-part series about how to grow, you know, how to carry a glass with two hands and not have your hands slippery. But it's actually a, more than that. Usually, a person with, who teaches 
has the motivation to understand it better. So he would probably say, listen, kid, why don't you come over to my house on Tuesdays and we'll carve out from four to six, we'll read six books on how to carry a glass of water, uh, you know, in the various ways historically that people carried them back, back in ancient times. And, uh, and uh, you know, we'll look up uh, the word glass in four languages. And so, because um, people who have the gift of teaching actually are kind of a little bit crippled by, they always feel like they don't have enough information to actually teach. I, if, for just to tell on myself, that I struggle with that all the time. Like, how can I talk about this subject? I don't know enough about it. And um, an exhorter is uh, kind of the person who wants to challenge someone to do it better. And so they'd say, hey, you... You can do this. Just forget about what happened. Get a, go get another glass of water, and uh, you know, by golly, we're gonna do it. And 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 doesn't matter that you're only three. You're old enough. You can do it. <laughs> I knew you had it in you all along. And uh, the person who uh, is a giver would probably just go in their heart. They'd be saying. I've always hated that we have a bunch of glasses that look like they came from 16 grandmother's garage sales and they don't match and uh, and they would just go to Walmart and buy six cases of matching glasses and uh, and get rid of all the old crappy ones that don't. And uh, you'd come in the next Sunday and there'd be a whole cabin full of nice new glasses that all match and and uh, and they'd be, you know, the thicker kind like this that are harder to break and or they something like that, you know. Uh, that's the person, uh, you know. I I have a friend that has the gift of giving, and uh, we had a situation once where um, people had been doing chores at the church, and somebody had sort of mutilated the bushes, and they looked pretty bad. And so this this guy who has the gift of giving goes, "Can we talk?" He takes me outside in the middle of church, like we're so, everyone's worshiping and stuff. He goes. Uh, can I pay so-and-so to come put, like, re-landscape this all and so forth? And so, uh, so he did. <laughs> and, we, and I was like, thank God that guy chopped up the bushes. <laughs> he was sent from God. <laughs> so we could get new bushes because they weren't that good of bushes to begin with. Um, and we had a nice new landscaped thing. So that's usually how, you know, the, pers- the person who has the gift of giving just usually... Uh, meets practical needs like that uh, all the time. And, and uh, usually people who have a gift of giving are very good at making money. And then uh, the, the gift of leadership or administration, um, you know, they're the person who knows to, listen, the kid's only three. Let's send the prophet upstairs to have him go rebuke Greg or Anvesh or Josiah or somebody and, We'll leave the little kid alone, and we'll bring the mercy guy in to talk to the little kid, and because uh, uh, he's only three, like he probably doesn't need to be yelled at for dropping a glass of water, and uh, have his motivations questioned, and and asked if he's ever going to grow up and get a job. <laughs> so, um, and you know, lastly, the person with mercy uh, feels the pain of the little boy. And, uh, empathizes with them and 
takes him through a sozo to get over it. <laughs> so, so that being said, back to, to how that applies to prophecy, prophecy is the only word that appears in all three of the gift list. And so to understand the, the New Testament office of a prophet, you have to take into account all the verses about, that use that word in the New Testament, uh, which most of them are listed in, in, on your outline, and you could look them all up if you want. But um, so... Um, a New Testament prophet uh, usually starts by prophesying. So prophecy is one of the nine spiritual gifts. And like tongues, uh, tongues and prophecy are the two easiest spiritual gifts to get started in and should be the most commonly exercised gifts. Now, tongues has two purposes. One is for personal edification so now that doesn't mean you can't speak in tongues when a group of people are worshiping together or praying together. But my, how I would do that is, is everybody in, the, in this prayer meeting baptized in the Holy Spirit or in favor of the baptism in the Spirit since it's become a point of contention in some places that where they uh, don't practice spiritual gifts as being for today or something like that. Whether I spoke in tongues in a public gathering would depend on who's in the gathering. And if you, re I think if you read 1 Corinthians 14 accurately, I, you would surmise that you know it ends by saying, let, "Do not forbid to uh, speak in tongues or to prophesy, but let everything be done in an orderly way." It's up to the elders of the church to decide what the purpose of this or that meeting is. If I'm in kind of a large group of people, I speak in tongues plenty and I sing in tongues plenty, but usually kind of quietly. It's a, in, unless it's one of our meetings where everybody is baptized in the Spirit and everybody's encouraged to be baptized in the Spirit, or if I'm at a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church, then I would be more free about uh, how loud I do that. Not because I fear anybody's opinion, but because we want to conduct ourselves in such a way as we win all the more to every point of truth in the Christian life. So someone who prophesies on a regular basis, you need, in 1 Corinthians 12, there are three primary, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, there are three primary purposes of prophecy in the New Testament gatherings, which are different than the purposes of prophecy in the Old Testament. So, uh, I think it's in uh, verse uh, 3, it says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, which is oikodemeo, building up, um, exhortation, and consolation, often translated comfort, in uh, what, what's the ESV have there? Uh, does anybody? No, no one's looking at. Consolation instead of comfort. Okay, so probably King James uses comfort. I would think if anybody has King James with them, uh, but uh, his said upbuilding instead of edification. 
because the whole point of the English Standard Version is they're trying to be a little simpler English for people who don't have as uh, broad of reading skills and vocabulary. Edification and upbuilding mean exactly the same thing, but upbuilding would be a much easier word to understand at a lower reading level. So, uh, you know, so they choose that to make it easier. Uh, so, um, uh, the, so again, I'm kind of trying to cover the fact that pro the word for prophecy is used in all three lists. So, a person who prophesies in in gatherings is not necessarily a prophet. However, if someone prophesies regularly and eventually they are recognized as having a regular ongoing ministry of prophecy, sometimes they, they would uh, emerge into the office of a prophet. And so there are several people uh, called prophets or prophetesses in the, in the uh, uh, New Testament, like Agabus, somewhere I have a list of them there. Uh, of course, Philip, uh, Philip uh, the Evangel or, uh, yeah, Philip the Evangelist's daughters, uh, and I'm trying to figure out where I have this list <laughs> somewhere. Oh, there it is. Uh, oh, yeah, it speaks of the church leaders in Antioch, as, as, that there were many prophets and teachers, and then it lists by name five guys, but it, the way it's worded, it sort of, sort of assumes there's probably a little bit more than five guys in this gathering, but it lists five of the standouts by name that include Paul and Barnabas. And that's, of course, the passage where the Holy Spirit sets apart, tells, you know, uh, again, someone spoke by prophecy in that gathering, set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work I have called them, past tense. Barnabas and Paul had known they were called to this. One of the things that's, uh, you know, yesterday uh, I was on a, in a ministry situation with Anvesh, and we were ministering to someone, and we were kind of exhorting them because they hadn't really taken seriously the call of God that they have in, t in terms of preparing for it. You know, the, the key to, if God starts using you today, it's probably because you obeyed him five years ago. In, in your study or in, in your readings and so forth, in your preparation. You know, there are character tests, there are, there are study qualifications and so forth, uh, there are social skills needed for various callings. And these are things you can pursue. Let's say you're a little socially awkward. You can find four or five uh, brothers and sisters who are really good at social skills and say, hey, would you keep an eye out for my social skills and take me aside from time to time and, and point out a, a little tidbit or something that'll help me improve my social skills. I don't know why more people don't do stuff like that. Because I, I have known literally uh, dozens, are you able to follow, is it okay when I walk around like that? <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, eventually we're gonna have the camera on the back wall and, and I think they're gonna have it so it, uh, I think one of the cameras is gonna just take in the whole stage and then, but I think they're gonna have some cameras that you can, can move around to. But anyway, uh, we're, we're gonna, improve the video cast and continue to do it even after COVID stuff is passed. And uh, so anyway, um, where was I? I forgot what I was talking about. Talking about something to do with prophecy. 
Yeah, so, yeah, so, um, you know, ask somebody to coach you in every area. Like, if you're not that great at in, uh, budgeting and investments and so forth, find somebody in the church who is. And sometimes uh, there are people who are good at that who aren't necessarily on the leadership team or whatever, Just, but you can always ask a few people, would this person be good at that? And a lot of times there are guys that are very good at that. That, uh, and especially if they're not leading uh, one of the discipleship home groups, uh, they might have time to, to teach you all about personal financial management. Or uh, you could get, uh, you know, like somebody like Bradbury to teach you more about working out if you want to work out more or something. You know, get in shape and all that. Uh, I would encourage you to always, always look for people in the body of Christ that are gifted. Now, so, in one way, the gift of prophecy, it's talked about in the New Testament, is people who exercise the gift of prophecy, but if they start to do so in a regular basis, they might actually get recognized officially as a prophet. Um, I, when I was in Bowling Green, Ohio, the elders of the church just uh, asked about seven guys, uh, some of whom you'd know because it included Wayne McNamara, myself, a guy named Ken Jenkins, who some of you probably know, and uh, uh, a couple other guys uh, who prophesied quite often in the church to get together weekly to, to spend about an hour talking, praying and worshiping and talking about the gift of prophecy and how it works and, and, what, and is there something the Lord is trying to say to the church. And then we submitted uh, that to the elders uh, for their review. And that's a, a brilliant, you know, great idea. If somebody prophesies regularly, uh, learn from them. But again, just because someone prophesies regularly doesn't not mean necessarily that they're what we're talking about here, the office of a prophet. Secondly, New Testament um, um, purpose of prophecy is upbuilding or edification exhortation, challenging, or comfort. And that if you notice, the list is primarily not similar. It's not rebuke, and it's not calling people back up to a higher standard. But the office of a prophet would probably have that gift of, of prophesying regularly mixed with the motivational gift of a prophet. And the motivational gift of a prophet wants to see the name of God, the name of Christ glorified and honored by the people of God doing it right. I heard a lot of that in John Gray's teaching this morning. You know, there was a lot of like, Lord, help us to do it right for the right motives and the right ways and so forth, to be pleasing unto him. And because that represents him to the outside world more accurately. And a, a person who's prophetic uh, in, the, in the motivational gift of a prophet wants to see the church quit doing things so mediocre. So they're never happy with, uh, you know, how the worship team's doing or, uh, <laughs> you know, how the discipleship groups are being conducted or basically anything. <laughs> Uh, 
So now there are levels of um, of uh, prophetic ministry. In some ways, New Testament prophetic ministry, and remember in the Old Testament, they actually talked about the sons of the prophets, and people who prophesied regularly would actually kind of hang out in schools, at, you know, in a, you know or, you, or a group or whatever. And they would help each other and sharpen each other's skills and so forth. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 29 through 32, it says, let two or three prophets speak and that the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, what that means is when, you know, you don't have to just like start speaking in tongues in the middle of, you know, algebra class, <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, the, the, the gifts of the spirit uh, are come to you as impressions in your spirit, and you cultivate what God is saying. You cultivate that anointing, and you uh, and you ask God when He wants it delivered, and in what tone or attitude He wants it delivered. You can actually miss the Lord, say the right things, but say it with too critical of a spirit or something like that. Um, Now, the, the verse we mentioned in, Act, in Acts 13 is actually at the bottom of page 3, where it says there were, in, there were in Antioch, the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Mananean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. You know, one thing I've noticed lately in the... You know, I, I get to fellowship with and hang out with from everything from counseling meetings to prayer meetings to watching a movie uh, to going for a walk five miles on the, uh, uh, what do you call that, the bike path. And uh, um, I'm actually in a lot of pain today. <laughs> Mostly because uh, when I was stretching yesterday, I actually pulled a couple mu uh, muscles. So uh pulled one muscle in particular that's been kind of bothersome. But anyway, um, so in general, the office of a prophet is something that is recognized because a person has developed, not only do they prophesy regularly, but they have a kind of uh, gift from the Lord to hear what God's saying to the church. And there's many ways your ears can be open. So I started to talk about, I get to hanging out with the leaders a lot. But I noticed one of the things that John Gray talked about today in his 930 message was he talked about fasting and the necessity of fasting. And there are certain things that you will never see the Lord do in your life if you're not a faster. Uh, to not be someone who fasts regularly is to, is to kind of say, no, thanks, God, I won't have any. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, when the waiter comes to your table and says, well, you're our 500th customer, so we're going to, you know, you ask for, a, you know, a hamburger, but we could offer you a filet mignon and a T-bone steak or sirloin or, and uh, a baked potato and, and uh, some, one of our nicest bottles of wine, and there'd be no charge. And he'd be like, no, thanks. I, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what we do when we, don't do when we don't have fasting be part of our 
uh, regular discipline in our Christian life because there's certain kinds of uh, breakthroughs God wants to give you. Uh, sometimes breakthroughs from demonic things, sometimes inner healing things, sometimes uh, increased anointings that are necessary to do a particular kind of ministry uh, that you can't get without fasting. And something I've noticed uh, quite a bit lately is various people in the leadership of the church have been talking about fasting more. And so uh, without actually hearing as much from the Holy Spirit as I might other sometimes do, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say that because I've heard four or five people who tend to be pretty spirit sensitive to the Spirit talking more about that than they normally do. So it seems like the Lord's called us to a little bit of a season of fasting uh, for the purpose of some breakthrough. So again, there's uh, kind of more than one way that you can kind of be a prophet in the terms of hearing what the Lord is saying to the church. Now, kind of a final point about prophets is simply this. Their apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are always listed in a certain order because apostles are always needed to be over prophets. And prophets are both uh, local and apostolic team ministries. So when someone is first starting to be recognized as a prophet, that would primarily be in the leadership team of their local church. But eventually, every local church's vision should be to get back to the Antioch model of the local church, because Antioch is the model church in the New Testament. Jerusalem never was, nor was it intended to be. Jesus had already pronounced the destruction of Jerusalem in the Mount Olivet discourse or sermon in Matthew and Luke and Mark. And so uh, Jerusalem was never the model church. The churches of the New Testament that we see Peter, James, Jude, and Paul writing letters to are all churches that are based on the Antioch model that Paul and Barnabas are sent out from in Acts 13. And uh, people go, well, hmm, Antioch is mentioned in Acts 12 and 13 and again in 15 and so forth. Uh, but it's not mentioned a lot. There's no letter to the Antioch church, right? Um, so how do we know what that model is? Because, again, Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch, and the churches they planted, they often taught, in Paul's letters, he often says, as we practice in all the churches, as we teach in all the churches. So as we're going to see next time when we talk about apostles, Apostles are people who have a blueprint in their mind and heart of what the church is supposed to be and what the goal of a local church should always be as we're growing gradually numerically should also be that we're growing in depth of relationship with God in the exercise of spiritual gifts and ministry gifts and people relating more maturely and wisely to their gifts of temperament. People are learning how to do community and mutual service and 
you know, uh, both that calling to be a generalist and a calling to be a specific type of uh, ministry, which always matures as we, as we walk further with the Lord. In some ways, you know, like Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, Timothy's a member of an apostolic team, and he's primarily a pastor. In fact, at one time, Timothy became, after the death of Paul, Timothy became the senior pastor of the church in Ephesus. Uh, but Timothy is not an evangelist, but, he's, but Paul tells him to do the work of an evangelist. Because guess what? Everyone who serves on apostolic teams does the work of evangelist at times. So that's, that's, that's kind of important. So a prophet should always be submitted locally to the shepherds and teachers of that uh, church and translocally to, they should be a member of an apostolic team because prophets tend to be a little bit more creative, you know, like lay naked on your side for seven years and and then, you know, like you're seeking, Lord, what, what do I do next, Lord? Turn over, you know. <laughs> you know, like, I'm glad I'm not that kind of ministry. <laughs> so are you. But, <laughs> uh, you know, prophets tend to do weird stuff, you know. And, you know, they see Paul and they tie him up in <laughs> chains and says, this is what awaits you. Oh, thanks. You, you could have you just told me. <laughs> you actually had to tie my hands and stuff. And, if, and so just to be clear, Paul being the head of an apostolic team, the, the scriptures say quite clearly that the Holy Spirit warned him not to go to Jerusalem. And Agabus, a prophet, uh, probably one of the most renowned prophets uh, uh, in New Testament times, you know, does that whole thing where he ties Paul's hands and he tells him, this is what awaits you in Jerusalem. And Paul actually rebukes all of them. <laughs> Stop breaking my heart. Let's get on with it. Well, I'm going to Jerusalem. And uh, thanks for the warning, but, uh, you know, let's do it. Let's go. And uh, that was actually, there were some very uh, people I listened to and respect who actually warned me not to go to India. And uh, therefore, I wasn't too surprised that I ran into a couple physical health battles and so forth. But I was still supposed to go, and, it's in, uh, and I'm still going to go again. Uh, however, you know, I'm taking a warning that if I want to keep going 20 years from now, I'm going to have to uh, do more five-mile walks on the bike path. Or actually, I need to do more five-mile bike rides. But so anyway, uh, prophets always need to be submitted to people who have the more governmental gifts is the point. That's, that's very important to understand. And Paul was not being the least bit rebellious or arrogant or stubborn or anything sinful when he, uh, despite the warnings uh, that it says the Holy Spirit testified to him from city to city, he had many warnings that change and bondage awaited him in Jerusalem, and he also heard those warnings as an apostolic governmental guy as he was still supposed to go. 
It's just that when he got arrested and so forth, it, it didn't uh, take him by surprise. Hopefully you, you hear that and understand that. Uh, people, people who are prophetic have a tendency to want to, uh, to uh, operate sometimes as a lone ranger and uh, because they feel things deeply and see things deeply and so forth, prophets get in a lot of spiritual confusion and trouble when they don't stay submitted to the apostolic governmental types of gifts like shepherds and teachers. And uh, that's a very important thing to see. Sometimes prophets are uh, amazing people in terms of the insights they'll have in the things of God but they always lack the balance to keep themselves safe if they don't stay in a team concept. So with that, we'll end talking about prophets. I would say of the seven-fold ministry gifts uh, that we're talking about, I can uh, lead you to some books by other movements that are a little bit more mature than we, we are in our, their understanding of prophets and how they function. If you want to go that direction... Uh, I would say of the sevenfold ministry gifts, it's one that I function in quite a bit, but I probably understand it less than I understand most of the other gifts. And uh, so, in terms of all the biblical parameters and and so forth. So let's uh, come and have the Lord's Supper.